Hello and welcome again to Latino in Chicago. This is your host, Eric Lugo. Today we're speaking with Kirsten Chernowski, Executive Director of Erie Neighborhood House, an organization with a history of serving immigrant families since 1870. That's right, 1870. Kirsten began her tenure at Erie in 2013 as a Senior Director of Development and Communications. In March of 2016, Erie's Board of Directors named her the Executive Director, making her just the ninth individual and fourth woman to serve in this capacity. In August 2016, Kirsten was named to the Cranes Leadership Academy, a cohort comprised of rising leaders in the nonprofit and business sectors. She also sits on the board of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrants and Refugee Rights, as well as Chicago Women in Philanthropy. In today's episode, we hear about Erie's services supporting immigrant communities, Kirsten offers some reflections on her first eight months in her role as executive director. She also offers some great advice to young leaders and in particular young women on embracing new career opportunities. And we hear about the challenges of the state of Illinois budget impasse. As always, I hope you enjoy and without further ado, here's Kirsten. Welcome to Latino in Chicago, Kirsten. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Eric. I'm excited to be a part of it. Absolutely. So why don't we start a little bit by talking about Erie Neighborhood House and the work of this great organization. Absolutely. So Erie House is a 146-year-old social service nonprofit providing primarily cradle-to-career services for immigrant families. Our mission is to promote a just and inclusive society by strengthening low-income, primarily Latino families through skill building, access to critical resources, advocacy, and collaborative action. So how do you go about doing that work? Can you talk to us a little bit about the programs that you offer? Absolutely. Erie has 11 different programs, which is quite a lot, uh, but really exciting in a way to fully engage the immigrant community. We have youth programming for youth ages 2 through 18, so early childhood, after school, and then um, mentoring for middle and high school age students. We have citizenship and immigration programming, English as a second language, community literacy, technology education, workforce development for manufacturing, healthcare, and technology. We have a housing outreach initiative called Buenogar. We have health and leadership, and last but not least, family strengthening program called Prieto Cuidate. It's awesome. and and. How would you say that work impacts families? So what's really unique about Erie House is that we provide wraparound holistic services. So very rarely will you find just one participant in our programming. Typically it's a mother, her children, her cousin, her sister, because of all the services we have. So when a participant comes to Erie House, each one of them receives an intake assessment. And let's say someone was coming to enroll their child in our child care program. At that time, we would ask, is there a parent who could benefit from ESL classes? Is there an older sibling who could benefit from our teen mentoring program? Is there someone in the family who needs English as a second language classes? And so by supporting the entire family, we're making sure that that family can succeed. So we don't view childcare as simply childcare, we also view it as economic development so that mother can go back to work and potentially utilize Erie services in order to make her family stronger. Amazing, amazing. What was your journey to Erie? How did you get here? 
So uh, specifically to Erie, I just replied to a job posting. Uh, there, there wasn't any uh, more glamorous than that. But in terms of my career in the nonprofit world, uh, it's all I've ever done. I was a sociology undergrad and received my master's in nonprofit administration. And so my first day as a professional up until now, I've always worked in the nonprofit sector. Uh, I attribute a lot of that to my upbringing. My grandfather on my dad's side was an immigrant from Portugal. And as a result, my dad had um, some challenges in his upbringing. Uh, my grandfather had to work three jobs in order for them to get by. And uh, one of those jobs was as a musician. So there was holidays or evenings when he had to work. That's, that's when business was. So my dad uh, was fortunate enough to receive a full academic scholarship to school, but there were times when he would go hungry because my grandfather wasn't able to send money in time for meals. And that's something that really stuck with, stuck with my dad. And so um, that was very much a part of my upbringing is understanding that, that legacy. And then on my mom's behalf, um, she was just really committed to service. I was a Girl Scout from a really young age and she was our troop leader. And uh, both my parents just did a great job in instilling the idea of giving back um, into my upbringing. And so that really carried over into my professional career. That's great, that's great. Uh, you mentioned, you know, Erie's work to provide wraparound services primarily to immigrant families across Chicago. Um, in a number of our podcasts, we talk a little bit about the challenges that Latinos and in particular immigrant families are facing in the city. Could you, uh, from your perspective, maybe provide us a little bit of insight on, on why those families need a place like Erie? You know, I think any immigrant group needs a touch, a touch point, a place where they can trust the services, a place where they can have one-stop shop for their needs. And that's why oftentimes I'm asked, you know, how does Erie get the word out or what, what's your marketing or advertising strategy? And I say, we really don't have one. I mean, the majority of our participants come here because of word of mouth. It's so hard when you're in a new country and a new setting to know who you can turn to and who you can trust. So Erie's very proud that that's the services that we're providing, whether it be on a small scale, just providing um, information or referrals or uh, one-off ESL classes to a large scale and having a participant come through our child program and stay with us all the way to becoming an employee at Erie, which we have many employees that are former participants. Um, but we're, we're very proud of the fact that we can be that trusted source in the community. And as Erie situates itself in a nonprofit ecosystem, what do you see uh, or what do you think Chicago can be improving on in terms of supporting families as well as the nonprofits that, that support them? Absolutely. You know, because Erie provides such a vast array of programming, uh, there could really be any number of issues in the city that are affecting our participants, whether that be from uh, child care to workforce development. But something that's universal across all of our participants is citizenship related issues. And so, you know, I think that where Chicago can improve in addressing a lack of comprehensive immigration form is just to continue as a city to challenge federal immigration laws and to fight for the rights of immigrants. 
I think, especially in this political climate, standing up against hateful rhetoric and racism is of utmost importance and really pushing for restoration of state funding that supports the New Americans Initiative, which funds immigrant support services like Erie House in order to make those services available. And then in general, I think it's especially important that immigrant voices and perspectives are present at tables where decisions are being made. I think that there needs to be a more conscious effort at the corporation level, at the state level, at the federal level, to make sure that those voices are being heard and recognized. What do you think Chicago's getting right? What's, what's good about what's happening in Chicago? Especially as, I mean, there's a lot of things that Chicago's doing great. I think for all of the issues it has, there, there are things that um, Chicago's really good at. And I mean, the fact that it has the welcoming ordinance and is striving to be the most immigrant-friendly city in the world, that should be applauded. Uh, I also think that on a larger scale, Chicago's really good at collaborating. Uh, you know, there's a multitude of community-based nonprofits, local politicians, and businesses that are all working together towards a common goal, and that's really powerful. So we were just talking about you're now eight months into this role as executive director. Yes. Uh, how's that gone for you? It's going great. Um, I am so passionate about Erie House and, and love the mission and the work that we do, but I also love the idea of settlement houses. So earlier in my career, I actually had the opportunity to work at Northwestern University Settlement House. So Erie House is my second um, settlement house that I've, I've worked at. And I just love the idea of embracing all members of society um, and living together in an interdependent way to help one another. Um, the major purpose when settlement houses were established was to help assimilate and ease the transition of immigrants to provide social services and also to be a nexus for political activism. And one of the revolutionary characteristics of settlement houses was very early on the importance of leadership roles of women, which is something that really resonated with me and was really groundbreaking for its time. So the idea to be able to be a part of carrying that tradition forward uh, with many services that are still very applicable to society today uh, was something that was very powerful for me and an opportunity I couldn't pass up. That's uh, really interesting. And um, over the course of these eight months, are you finding that there's anything you wish you knew prior to taking on the job that uh, you didn't know? <laughs> too, too many things, Eric, too many things. <laughs> uh, I think two of the biggest lessons I learned uh, somewhat just in these eight months and that I was starting to learn a little bit prior to taking on this role um, was the importance of being vulnerable and the power of failure. Mm. So I am a very composed professional person, uh, very much, you know, keep your personal life separate. And I found at times that uh, people gravitate towards authenticity and that comes from being vulnerable. Um, we talked about this a, a little bit before we started, but um, I'm a recent breast cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. I completed my treatment in March, uh, which was also the same month that I became the new executive director yeah. of Erie House. Wow. So uh, I was undergoing treatment and interviewing at the same time. And I think incorporating that into my professional life has made me a stronger leader um, and quite frankly, a better person. Uh, you definitely have things put into perspective during um, life-altering 
events and I think bringing um, the gravity of that situation to this role of at Erie House and, and being able to lead with a greater sense of, of clarity and authenticity has been something that's been uh, really powerful and important. That's um, a, a really incredible reflection. Uh, how do you find yourself being more vulnerable in the day-to-day? -day? Are you engaging with staff differently? Are you engaging with community participants differently? What's, how do you bring that to life in your day-to-day -day activity? Absolutely. I think um, I share my failures or my, uh, you know, as, as we like to put a positive spin on it, my opportunities for improvement <laughs> uh, much more readily with staff. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that they're, especially as a young executive director, there's a lot of pressure to act like I know it all and, and that, you know, I, I have all the answers, but I don't. And I'm continuing to learn and evolve every day just as our staff are. And in many instances, the staff have a greater expertise or a greater level of knowledge than I do. And so being willing to, to lean on them and to count on them for, for answers or ideas uh, and being able to share with them trial and error and experience that I've had to help find motivation and empowerment in their own lives and careers has been a great asset. Yeah. You know, I find um, being a young leader and in particular executive can be hard when yes. you're surrounded by folks who spent a lifetime right, uh, trying to commit to change in community. Uh, how is that part going um, as you relate not only to your staff but maybe even externally? You know, I, you speak of, the, of those powerful leaders and I feel incredibly blessed and fortunate that I can lean on many of them. Um, you know, your previous uh, podcast interviewees, Sol and Juan, and obviously Selena Roldan, former executive director of Erie House, you know, the, and, and many, many more that um, I, I won't continue to name drop, but uh, I've been incredibly blessed and lucky that they have reached out, shared their support, are willing to share their experiences with me, uh, are shoulder to bounce ideas off of, and we'll also uh, keep it real in, the, in their feedback. You know, um, they're not afraid to say that's a terrible idea yeah. or, you know, uh, maybe something a little bit more polite. But being able to, to tap into that external community and, and feeling comfortable asking for their support uh, has, has really made this transition a lot smoother. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to young leaders who are anxious to lead? Right or anxious to step into senior or even executive roles in either nonprofits or outside of them. Well, in my in my case in particular, I think I was it was a combination of uh, being prepared and luck. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, there was obviously timing that played a factor into the transition, but I think I was as well prepared for the role. The you know tips I would would provide, I think one is is more. Uh, narrow and the other is broader. Narrowly, I would say not to doubt yourself and not to limit yourself from going for an opportunity just because you're not 100% certain that you can do it. Um, I don't think anyone is 100% certain that they can do anything. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's just having the confidence that you'll figure it out along the way. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a recent study that I'm going to horribly misquote, but essentially it said 
you know, the percentage of men that will apply for a leadership position versus women without being 100% qualified for the role is a, a stark difference. Men, you know, tenfold will go after that job much more often than women. And so, I mean, it applies to any leader, but especially for young women, I would say, you know, know that you're enough, know that you are capable of handling the pressure and and challenge that will be thrown at you. And if you don't have all the answers, trust in yourself to, to find those answers and to be able to um, answer them in a way that's uniquely qualified to, to who you are. Uh, you know, broader, I would say, specifically for the nonprofit world, I think something that can be really challenging is how do you balance um, the compassion that's inherent in nonprofits with ultimately challenging business decisions that have to be made, whether it's uh, terminations or disciplinary action. And something that I've found comforting in those times is remembering that your responsibility is to the mission. Mm -hmm. No one person is bigger than the mission of Erie House. Mm -hmm. And so my priority has to be to our participants. So if there's an individual staff member or a circumstance that's impeding, our participants receiving the best quality services that they possibly can, my mission has to be, or my focus has to be to them and, and maintaining the mission of Erie House. As you've stepped into the role, um, and even more broadly than the role, uh, is there any literature that's attracting you or that you're reading that's just helping inform your thinking and your work? Absolutely. I'm reading anything I can get my hands on about uh, leadership in these past eight months. Mm -hmm. But uh, I've been fortunate enough to be part of the Cranes Leadership Academy. Um, this is their third cohort. And one of the books they have us reading is Give and Take by Adam Grant. And the idea with this book is that there's givers who um, will give of themselves to others. Uh, regardless of the impact it may have on, on their own professional development. And then there's takers, so those who uh, will only do what's best for them to get ahead. And historically, the idea has been that takers are who are most successful in business. And so this book talks about how givers, while sometimes are sort of at that bottom of the successful, often a lot of our uh, most notable leaders are givers. And so the book talks about how you can be successful as a giver and helping people as you work your way um, to the top, if you will. So working in a nonprofit, that, that really spoke to me, the, the idea that you can be um, you know, a, a shark, but also you know, in business, but also uh, be giving back. Mm -hmm. uh, another set of books that I found that I'm absolutely in love with our children's books. Mm -hmm. um, the original book was called What Do You Do With an Idea by Kobe Yamada. And there was just recently a second book um, called What Do You Do With a Problem. And they're beautifully illustrated and just a really um, simplistic version of looking at how we need to nurture and grow both um, ideas and then be mindful with our problems as turning them into opportunities. And you know, it's a children's book, so it's a quick five minute read, but when you need to be grounded and refine that inspiration or uh, courage to continue to move forward, um, they're great reminders for that. Kids do that, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't have kids, but I have nieces and uh, 
they are constant reminders of how simplicity can bring so much value to everyday thinking. Absolutely. Um, we muddle it up too much. <laughs> we, we, we can't do that. So Kirsten, um, what's your vision for Erie House? Where are you trying to go with this organization and what are you hoping it can achieve? Sure. You know, there's a tremendous responsibility with being the new executive director at Erie House. Uh, there's some very large shoes to fill from an ED perspective and just a legacy. You know, I, I need to be a, a strong steward for another 146 years of service to the community. Mm -hmm. uh, my immediate vision, uh, unfortunately, is a, is a bit short term, hopefully, mm -hmm. uh, which is to survive and thrive during the state budget impasse. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to make sure that we can uh, get Erie back in a, a setting where we are not as dependent on state funding as we have been in the past. Uh, we've recently passed a, a balanced fiscal year 17 budget that, with the exception of federal pass-through dollars, does not include any state funding. So I think that's a great start, but uh, we still have, have more road ahead of us. Um, but long term, I really am looking externally to expand Erie House's services that we're already providing to a larger scale and also Erie House's geography. Uh, and internally, I have a strong focus on diversity and inclusion, both amongst our staff and our board to make sure that in addition to representing the participants that we serve, that we're also bringing in as many perspectives from different communities within the city of Chicago and making sure that that carries through to our staff and board members as well. That's great. Are you, um are you hoping that Erie services can now extend beyond immigrant communities or are you specifically thinking about how you are following immigrant communities across the city and state? I think both. You know, currently Erie House's services are open to anyone. Mm -hmm. uh, the vast majority of our, our participants happen to be immigrants, yeah. but not all of those immigrants are first generation or new to this country. Mm -hmm. You know, some of our participants are coming to Erie House for the first time as a third generation immigrant or someone who's been in the States for 10, 20, 30 years before reaching out for services. Mm -hmm. So I think it's tapping into that broad spectrum of, of how someone would uh, categorize themselves as an immigrant and then also individuals who uh, are native to Chicago and, and just looking for services that they could mm -hmm. benefit from at Erie House as well. How can people help get you there? You know, there's the obvious uh, plug for volunteers and, and donors, which every, you know, nonprofit needs to survive. And, mm -hmm. and folks can learn more about how to do that at, at eriehouse.org. But, you know, I think the biggest way to help would be just to visit Erie House, to meet with our staff and participants and hear their stories. You know, why our staff choose to work here, why former participants come back to be employees of Erie House, why our participants not only remain involved for years and in different programs, but have their children and spouses and family members and neighbors become involved with Erie House because of the wonderful place that it is, and see if you have a connection. And if you do, see how you can engage um, and, and further nourish that connection by being involved some way at Erie. Mm -hmm. Any parting thoughts for the audience? Thanks for listening. I'm really excited about this podcast and I think, you know, the way that 
Chicago becomes a better place is, is hearing each other's stories. So I'm thrilled to be a part of it and, and look forward to listening to future Latino in Chicago podcasts. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for tuning in. That was Kirsten Chernosky, Executive Director of Erie Neighborhood House. And this, of course, is Eric Lugo. Just a friendly request. If you're enjoying Latino in Chicago's content, please jump on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. This will definitely help more folks find these great stories from Chicago leaders. Keep on listening and until next time, peace.